Section 49 of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Evanston. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. Case Studies, Chapter 10, Part 1. 10. Atomic Veterans Human Experimentation in Connection with Atomic Bomb Tests In 1946, the United States conducted Operation Crossroads, the first peacetime nuclear weapons tests, before an audience of worldwide press and visiting dignitaries at the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Marshall Islands. In 1949, the Soviet Union exploded its first atomic bomb, and in December 1950, shortly after the United States entered the Korean War, President Truman chose Nevada as the site for continental testing of nuclear weapons. Testing of atomic bombs in Nevada began in January 1951 and continued throughout the decade. Further testing of atomic, then hydrogen, bombs took place in the Pacific. By the time atmospheric testing was halted by the 1963 Test Ban Treaty, the United States had conducted more than 200 atmospheric tests and dozens of underground tests. The rules governing nuclear weapons tests were not spelled out by law or handed down by tradition. They had to be created in ongoing interplay between the new Atomic Energy Commission and the new Department of Defense. The tests were important to many governmental agencies, but, of course, critical to the AEC and the DOD. The AEC, as the source of weapons design expertise, was interested in the performance of new bomb designs and, along with DOD, in the effects of the weapons. The DOD and each of the armed services had particular interests in the use of the tests to learn how atomic wars could be fought and won if, as seemed quite possible at mid-century, they had to be. Along with civilian agencies, such as the Public Health Service, the Veterans Administration, and the Department of Agriculture, they shared an interest in civil defense against the use of the bomb in wartime and the impact of the bomb's use in peacetime tests as well as war on the public health and welfare. The bomb tests inevitably involved risk and uncertainty. Safety was a basic and continued concern, and the development of radiation safety practices and understanding was therefore an essential part of the test program. At its core, the test program was established to determine how well newly designed nuclear weapons worked, but officials and researchers quickly saw the need and opportunity to use the tests for other purposes as well. More than 200,000 people, including soldiers, sailors, air crews, and civilian test personnel, were engaged to staff the tests, to participate as trainees or observers, 
and to gather data on the effects of the weapons. The committee was not chartered to review the atomic bomb tests or the experience of the troops present at the detonations. However, early in our tenure, we heard from veterans who participated in the tests and their family members who urged that we include their experiences in our review. In testimony before the advisory committee, atomic vets and their widows stated forcefully that all those who participated in the bomb tests were in a real sense participants in an experiment. It also was argued that biomedical experiments involving military personnel as human subjects took place in connection with the tests. The interest among atomic veterans and their families in the activities of the advisory committee and the government's commitment to investigating human radiation experiments was intense. When the Department of Energy established its helpline for citizens concerned about human radiation experiments, for example, bomb test participants and their family members were the single largest group of callers among the approximately 20,000 calls received. That the bomb tests were in some sense experiments is, of course, correct. The tests of new and untried atomic weapons were, wrote the chief health officer of the AEC's Los Alamos lab, quote, fundamentally large-scale laboratory experiments, end quote. At the same time, although there was a real possibility that human subject research had been conducted in conjunction with the bomb tests, the tests were not themselves experiments involving human subjects. The committee reviewed the historical record to determine if human experiments had taken place in connection with the tests. We found that somewhere in the range of 2,000 to 3,000 military personnel at the tests did serve as the subjects of research in connection with the tests. In most cases, these research subjects were engaged in activities similar to those engaged in by many other service personnel who were not research subjects. For example, some air crew flew through atomic clouds in experiments to measure radiation absorbed by their bodies, but many others flew in or around atomic clouds to gather data on radiation in the clouds. The Defense Department generally did not distinguish such research from otherwise similar activities, treating both as part of the duties of military personnel. The experience of the atomic veterans illustrates well the difficulty in locating the boundary between research involving human subjects and other activities conducted in occupational settings that routinely involve exposure to hazards. The more the committee investigated the human research projects conducted in conjunction with the bomb tests, the more we found ourselves discussing issues that affected all the service personnel who had been present at the tests, and not just those who also had been involved as subjects of research. This occurred both because of the boundary problem just described and because critical decisions about initial exposure levels and follow-up of veterans 
were generally not made separately for research subjects and other personnel present at the tests. Legislation passed in 1984 and 1988 that provides the basis for compensation to some atomic veterans similarly does not distinguish between those veterans who were research subjects and the vast majority who were not. In this chapter, we present what we have learned about human experimentation conducted in conjunction with atomic bomb testing, as well as some observations about the experience of the atomic veterans generally. In the first section of the chapter, we focus on research involving human subjects. We begin by a review of the 1951-1952 discussions in which DOD Biomedical advisors considered the role of troops at the bomb tests and the need for biomedical research to be conducted in conjunction with them. We then look at a research activity that was given the highest priority by these advisors. The psychological and physiological testing of troops involved in training maneuvers at bomb tests and officers who volunteered to occupy foxholes in the range of one mile from ground zero. We next turn to the so-called flash blindedness experiments conducted to measure the effect on vision of the detonation of an atomic bomb. Finally, we look at research in which men were used to help measure the radiation absorbed by protective clothing, by equipment that humans operated, and by the human body. We note at the outset that while the studies all took place in the context of the atomic bomb and therefore involved some potential exposure to radiation, none of them were designed to measure the biological effects of radiation itself as opposed to the levels of exposure. A basic reason this was so was the determination of the DOD and the AEC to keep exposure levels of test participants below those at which acute radiation effects were likely to be experienced and therefore measurable. In the second section of the chapter, we discuss issues of concern to the committee that affected all the atomic veterans. We review how risk was considered by AEC and DOD officials at the time the tests were being planned the creation and maintenance of records related to bomb test exposure, and what is now known about the longer-term risks of participation in the tests. We also discuss the legacy of distrust among atomic veterans and their families that stems in part from the failure to create and maintain adequate records. Finally, we conclude with a discussion of what the atomic bomb test experience tells us about the boundary between experimental and occupational exposures to risk and some lessons that remain to be learned from the experience of the atomic veterans. Human Research at the Bomb Tests The Defense Department's medical experts, advocates of troop maneuvers and human experimentation. As we saw in the introduction, in 1949, when AEC and DOD experts met to consider the psychological problems connected to construction of the proposed 
nuclear-powered airplane, the NEPA project. There was a consensus that America's atomic war-fighting capability would be crippled unless servicemen were cured of the mystical fear of radiation. When routine testing of nuclear weapons began at the test site in Nevada in 1951, the opportunity to take action to deal with this problem presented itself. DOD officials urged that troop maneuvers and training exercises be conducted in connection with the tests. Whole military units would be employed in these exercises, and participation, as part of the duty of the soldier, would not be voluntary. DOD's military experts simultaneously urged that the tests be used for training and, quote, indoctrination, end quote, about atomic warfare and as an opportunity for research. The psychological and physiological testing of troops to address the fear of radiation was the first of the research to take place. This testing was largely conducted as an occupational rather than an experimental activity. In a June 27, 1951 memorandum to high DOD officials, Dr. Richard Meeling, the chair of the Secretary of Defense's top medical advisory group, the Armed Forces Medical Policy Council, addressed the question of, quote, military medical problems, end quote, associated with bomb tests. The memorandum made clear that troops should be placed at bomb tests not so much to examine risk as to demonstrate relative safety. Quote, fear of radiation, end quote, Dr. Meeling's memorandum began, quote, is almost universal among the uninitiated, and unless it is overcome in the military forces, it could present a most serious problem if atomic weapons are used, end quote. In fact, quote, it has been proven repeatedly that persistent ionizing radiation following air bursts does not occur, hence the fear that it presents a dangerous hazard to personnel is groundless, end quote. Dr. Meeling urged that, quote, positive action be taken at the earliest opportunity to demonstrate this fact in a practical manner, end quote. He continued, a, quote, regimental combat team should be deployed approximately 12 miles from the designated ground zero of an airburst, and immediately following the explosion, they should move into the burst area in fulfillment of a tactical problem, end quote. The exercise, quote, would clearly demonstrate that persistent ionizing radiation following an airburst atomic explosion presents no hazards to personnel and would effectively dispel a fear that is dangerous and demoralizing, but entirely groundless, end quote. Dr. Meeling's proposal to put troops at the bomb tests in order to allay their fears may well have been an echo of what the military already had in mind. The Army's 1950, quote, 
atomic energy indoctrination end quote, pamphlet a primer for soldiers showed that the military was concerned that misperception of the effect of an air burst could be damaging in combat quote, lingering radioactivity will be virtually non-existent in the case of the normal air burst end quote. it reassured the soldiers the greater danger it told them was the probability that quote, an unreasoning fear of lingering radioactivity end quote, would take quote, an unnecessary toll in american lives end quote. while the tests provided an opportunity to allay fears they simultaneously provided the opportunity to gather data in this regard dr meeling appeared to be ahead of his military colleagues in expressing concern that the military was not taking adequate advantage of the bomb tests as an opportunity for quote, biomedical participation end quote. in february nineteen fifty one in fact following tests in nevada he had urged the d o d to incorporate quote, biomedical tests end quote, into plans for future bomb tests Meeling's suggestion that planning for biomedical tests be undertaken wound its way through the Secretary of Defense's Research and Development Bureaucracy and fell into the lap of the civilian-chaired Joint Panel on the Medical Aspects of Atomic Warfare. Under the chairmanship of Harvard's Dr. Joseph Alb, the Joint Panel was the gathering place for the small world of government radiation researchers and their private consultants its periodic quote, program guidance reports end quote, laid out the atomic warfare medical research agenda summarizing work that was ongoing and that which remained at its meetings participants heard from the cia on foreign medical intelligence debated the need for human experimentation and learned of the latest developments in radiation injury research of the blast and heat effects of the bomb and of instruments needed to measure radiation effects in september nineteen fifty one the joint panel considered a draft report on quote, biomedical participation end quote, in bomb tests Quote, it is of course obvious end quote, the report noted quote, that a test of a new and untried atomic weapon is not a place to have an unlimited number of people milling about and operating independently end quote. planning was therefore in order there were the document explained basic criteria for experimentation at bomb tests for example quote, does the experiment have to be done at a bomb detonation is it impossible or impractical in a laboratory End quote. the document turned to quote, specific problems for future tests End quote. the list of twenty-nine problems was not intended to be all-inclusive but was quote, designed to show the types of problems 
which should be considered as a legitimate basis for biomedical participation in future weapons tests the term human experimentation was not used and most of the items could be performed without humans however the list included several examples of research involving human subjects eleven effects of exposure of the eye to the atomic flash twenty four measurements of radioactive isotopes in the body fluids of atomic weapons test personnel twenty seven the efficiency and suitability of various protective devices and equipment for atomic weapons war twenty eight psychophysiological changes after exposure to nuclear explosions twenty nine orientation flights in the vicinity of nuclear explosions for certain combat air crews by the end of the decade human research would be conducted in all these areas at the same september meeting the joint panel also considered a quote, program guidance report end quote, on the kinds of atomic warfare related research that needed to be conducted in the laboratory as well as in the field the areas singled out for immediate and critical attention included the initiation of quote, troop indoctrination at atomic detonations end quote, and quote, psychological observations on troops at atom bomb tests end quote. a section on quote, biomedical participation in future atomic weapons tests end quote, concluded that the next step should be quote, 4.1 to complete present program and plan for participation in future tests in light of results from operation greenhouse a prior atomic test series these plans should include studies on the effect of atomic weapons detonations on a troop unit in normal tactical support thus while it was well known at the time that troops participated at the bomb tests and were subjected to psychological testing it now is evident that the DOD's medical advisors advocated the presence of the troops at the tests for both training and research purposes. The doctors were not alone in attaching high priority to such research. The joint panel's September guidance punctuated, perhaps echoed, the Armed Forces Special Weapons Project's midsummer 1951 call for a, quote, systematic research study to provide a sound basis for estimating troop reaction to the bomb experience and the indoctrination value of the maneuver End quote. End of section forty nine recording by Patrick McAfee Evanston